Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. Part six, hi. Good morning. I'm Pastor David Schmaltz. Good to have you here at Valley. This is our second service. It's good to have you here today. I want to mention that, again, we're in a series called You Asked For It, and this is part six today. And we had a lot of questions from folks about heaven. And so, again, some of those questions that were asked, we're going to put into a blog form. We'll let you know when that's up and ready to roll, uh, in case yours didn't get covered during our series. But there were a lot of questions about what will heaven be like? And so I'm going to give that my best shot here today in the time that we have. And uh, so this is going to be a little more of a teachy kind of a situation where I just want to encourage you today, all right? I want you to just sit back and let the Word of God encourage you. You obviously, and I think all of us, were curious about heaven. You know, death is a reality. You know, when you're young, you're not thinking much about it. You don't really care to think about it much. But the older you get, you begin to see the reality beginning to approach us, the reality that we're not going to be here forever, that we are, you know, uh, sentient beings, but we, we, we've got one life to live here, and then, of course, the eternity that we will all face. So I want to talk today about heaven, what the Bible says about heaven, and so I'm going to look at a couple of things first, and then we're, I'm just going to just break it down from what I've read. Of course, being a pastor as many years as I have, uh, I've done a lot of weddings and I've done a lot of funerals. And I've done uh, a, a lot of encouragement to folks to help them understand what heaven is. There are times when we get overwhelmed by the death of, of a loved one, when we, again, when we're, we're faced with our own uh, you know, mortality, and we have to engage this. But nothing could be more encouraging and more clear than Scripture in talking about heaven. Now, I want to say this before I get into it. There is a book that I wish every Christian would get, and I do recommend this. Uh, in, in every situation I get it. It's called just simply Heaven, all right? It's, it's a book about this big, and it's all about heaven by Randy Alcorn, all right? You might want to write that down, because I really believe if you want to do a Bible study and you want your socks blown off as to what heaven's going to be like, you need to get that book, Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And so some of that I'm going to take from uh, uh, Mr. Alcorn's book there, but others just in my own reading and my own encouragement. So I'm just going to jump right in and Jesus says in John chapter 14, 1 through 4, he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. And that is true. We often can be discouraged when we think of the afterlife. We can be overwhelmed. And so he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Of course, that gives birth to Jesus's, uh, I'm sorry, Thomas's response. It says, we don't know where you're going, and, uh, and we don't know how to get there. And he goes, of course you do. And then there's the famous response from Jesus where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, you get to heaven through me. I'm your door, Okay. Now, Jesus talks about heaven quite a bit, and here is, is a very unique statement in talking about heaven that I think that we shouldn't miss. And basically, he, he lays this out in a, like a syllogism or, a, or a, uh, an argument that we can follow. In other words, to say, look, I tell you that my father's house has got a lot of rooms. It is a what? Place. That's important. 
Because I think a lot of times, Christians, we've got this impression that heaven is going to be just this ethereal zone where it's just, we're just going to be floating spirits whispering around out in the atmosphere somewhere, and that we're going to have wings, and that we're going to be playing harps, even though if you've never touched an instrument in, in ever in your life, you're going to be playing a harp when you get to heaven. And that it's going to be this just place that when some people think about it, they just think, wow, man, that just bores me out of my ever-living mind. And we think in terms of just heaven being this, again, not really a place. Nothing could be further than the truth. Heaven is a place. And Jesus, he, he's, again, giving these, these little snapshots because it is a mystery. I mean, I have not been there and come back to tell you, hey, look, heaven, let me tell you all about what heaven's like. I've not done that. Of course, there are many, many people who said they have been there. They make movies about it. And, uh, but even then, those are experiential and not necessarily based completely on Scripture. They're what a person experiences when they're <clears throat> they've died and come back. So we're focusing on Bible here. And so, but Jesus is saying it's a place. He says there's rooms. He talks about mansions. And he says, look, would I be telling you about this if that's not where you're going? And if I'm going to go, don't you think I'm going to, and if I'm preparing some place for you, don't you think I'm going to come back and get you so that you can enjoy it? So that's his, his argument, and that's his encouragement to let us know, look, there is a place called heaven for you. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43, Jesus, of course, is hanging on the cross. He's got the criminals on either side of him. And one of the criminal, criminals excuse me, uh, who hung there hurled insults at him, is what it says here. Aren't you the Messiah, he says? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Now, another instance, another uh, 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 account of this event says that the other criminal as well was heaping abuse upon him at the beginning, and then his, then his heart turned. But right here in this example in Luke, he goes right to it. He says, he says he, so the one criminal looks at the other and says, don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for we are getting what we, our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Obviously, this criminal knows who he is. Perhaps he saw him and heard about his miracles. Perhaps he even, even followed him for a while. But his life of criminality, who knows what he did. Uh, but he already admitted that he had done it. And so he was getting what he deserved, quote unquote. But it, at this very moment, which is really a very powerful thing that's getting ready to happen here. The man says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, I don't see this man on the cross going through the four principles, the four steps that we hand out in the, in the uh, evangelistic uh, things that we've given out. It's almost like what Jesus sees, this man's heart. He didn't have to confess anything. He didn't have to go through some elaborate you know, uh, uh, spiritual discipline in order to be saved there right on the cross. All he had to do was to say, Jesus, have mercy upon me. And Jesus said, today, this very day, you're going to be with me in heaven. Now that's cool right there. What I like about it is the mercy of God. What I like about that is sometimes when we think in terms of living our whole life. Now, I'm going to attach this real quickly. This wasn't originally in my notes, but I woke up this morning with this verse on my heart. And it was, and I remembered this, and again, I, I, and I'm not going to just talk so much about it, but Jesus says, when we get to heaven, Jesus will be saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant, welcome to 
your rest, to your, your inheritance. But there'll also be those who will come up to Jesus and he will say, go away from me, I never knew you. Now that's a pretty hard statement, isn't it? A little scary. When he says, I never knew you. But I thought that is very interesting. Just this morning, popped into my head. What Jesus did not say was, I don't know you. Because if you would expect somebody, you know, it, that he would not know you at all, he says, I never knew you, which to me gives credence, gives, gives, gives a lot of room to the thought and encouragement. You know, we live our whole lives. Some of us gave our lives to Jesus when we were little kids. And then we may, we kind of wandered around. Maybe we spent some time really following God. And then maybe there was a time or a season in our life that we didn't follow God so much. And then maybe we came back to God. But then sometimes in our old age, when, when, when we begin to wear away and, and we're not the, the, it, like we were, or maybe we're not as loving as kind, we, you know, when we were 35 and beautiful and everything was going well and we were at the top of our game. But when as we begin to age, this is such an encouragement. Jesus, he says, I never knew you, giving me the understanding that, there, that God, Jesus looks at our life in its totality. You see what I'm saying? He looks at your life the whole life. There may have been a time you were closer to him than you are. On that very day, you'll stand before him. But God is merciful. He loves us. He died for us. We're not going to live a perfect life. Of course, that's what we yearn for. But I just, I just thought of that, that very language that Jesus uses. But getting back to this guy, he says, today I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. So you know, a lot of times there's a lot of fear about when we die, where do people go? Do we just stay in the grave for hundreds of years? Do we sit there, wait, asleep, as, as the, the terminology is? You know, Paul addressed that. He said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul was under the complete impression that the moment he closed his eyes, he said, to die is, I mean, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So to encourage all of us in this room here today, that when we close our eyes and we, and we pass away from this life, if your hope is in Christ, that's where you're going. You're going to be with him. Isn't that awesome? And he says to that, he says to that criminal, look, you'll, today you'll be with me in paradise. I love it. Obviously, you know, of what's going on, not the best circumstances of, of, of a salvation experience, but hey, he's going to be with Jesus. So Jesus described heaven in the most wonderful terms. He used a banquet or a celebration as a, and a wedding feast. And when you think of the wedding, and I've learned this as a pastor, I didn't think much of it when I was a younger person, but the, longer, the more I've lived and the more I've witnessed and done a lot of weddings, weddings are actually the, the, the most perfect example of what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. I mean, you know, if you think about it, the way it was created, and, and maybe you don't know this, but the wedding has been designed as a, as a, a replica of what it will be when we're joined to Christ in the, in, in the last day, when, in, in, when we die. That we'll be, meet, we're the bride, and we're presented to the groom, pure, spotless because of the blood of Jesus, the celebration of favor, God being there it, in, in everything. All, every, I wish I could go through the details. I just don't have enough time. But the wedding, it all represents it, and Jesus knew that. So Jesus also knew that he was going to represent the wedding from beginning to end. He's the groom, and what is he doing? He's going away, just like the Jewish wedding. The, the groom would go away for at least a year because there was that year of, of, of separation, that year of, of uh, being um, uh, engaged, that the groom would go away and do what? He'd go prepare a house. 
He'd go and get his life together, and then he would come back. Now, the bride knew that after a year that he was going to come, but she did not know the day nor the hour when he would come. So the, the groom would come at any time. So the bride, what did she have to be? Ready. She needed to be ready at all times. And she'd have to have all of her bridesmaids and everybody. She'd have to have her bags packed. She'd have to have everything ready to go. And Jesus used the wedding and the whole concept of that regarding his own coming. So the wedding, Jesus says, look, you know what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be a celebration forever. It's going to be like the wedding feast. You ever been to a wedding feast? You know what it's like. Time almost stops for a little bit. Everybody's happy. Everybody's excited about the two joining of families. There's the, the sharing. As a matter of fact, we're getting ready to have one ourselves this coming weekend. Very excited about it. Tate's getting married. And so, you know, I, I, I've been to so many of yours. And, and, and again, you just feel like all time stops and you're in a what? A celebration because new lives are getting started. There's joy, there's, there's celebration, there's, there's feasting, the whole nine yards. So Jesus uses the wedding feast as a pictorial background for what heaven's going to be like. He also describes Abraham's bosom. And we know that as we kind of look at that, well, just because of the wording, and it's a place of comfort and rest. So you think about that. When you co- so the, those who died in the old covenant, they were waiting in a place that, that the Jews referred to as paradise or Sheol, the grave, but it was all, always known or understood as being a waiting place for them, for the covenant to be fully, under, fully uh, uh, fulfilled in God's great plan. Now, we know what that plan, great plan was now. It was Jesus, but they were waiting. And so the way they described it was Abraham's bosom. And so now let's think about that. So you, here is Abraham, and what are you going to do? How do you get to his bosom, his chest? Well, you got to run up to him and hug him, don't you? You know, you don't walk up to Abraham, how are you doing, man? No, you run up to him and you give him a big hug. And you lay your, hand, your, your head on, your, on his breast to say, man, whew, made it. It's good to be with you, Abraham. Waiting till the day when captivity will be led captive, led out. When Jesus would come and say, it's done, it's finished, come on. So we get that impression. You can look at a few other verses I've got there. Now, in Matthew, it's pretty cool. We also know that, that when Jesus rose from the dead, there, and it's just really curious little verses in there, it says that there were very holy people who had died and that were raised from the dead at the exact same time, exact same time Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, it's very curious. Now, some scholars think that what he's talking about there is that very ancient, maybe you heard this, the very ancient saints were rising from the dead. Maybe they saw... Moses walking around. Maybe you saw Joseph walking around. No, that's not true. Most scholars don't see that as being the case. What they think happened is that many of those who were following Christ, that there were several that had died waiting in that three-year period of time that were, I mean, literally just freshly put in the grave, kind of like a Lazarus situation. And that when Jesus rose from the dead, so did they. And the early church has always thought of them as the first fruit, the first fruit of the resurrection, Another encouragement to all the Christians who are waiting for the second coming to know that, hey, I saw Uncle Bob. Did you see Uncle Bob? Did he die? Oh, he was dead, cold and in the grave. Well, I saw him walking around on the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. Did you see that? Yeah. Paul comes back, we'll talk about that in a minute, and he latches onto that, to the idea that Christian, don't worry, God's got this. Because the, the truth is, and I'll, I'll insert this right here. 
The truth is, you know, the church was always under the impression that Jesus was going to come in their lifetime. Did you know that? It's called the imminence of Christ. They all were thinking, because Jesus said, they, you know, he ascended in front of them, and they're all watching, and the angel said, you know, you see where he's going? He's going to come back in the very same way. And so all the Christians were like, great, can't wait for it. They thought he was going to come. Well, one generation, and you can see from the early church, they really did not like the idea that they were dying because they didn't really bury him. They put him in catacombs. They put him in caves. They put him in places that would have been easy access for Jesus to get to him. But then 100 years went by. Then 200 years went by. Then 500 years went by. And we begin to realize, wait a minute. He's not coming all too soon. So they began to put their hope into something that they understood as a resurrection from the dead. They understood. And Paul then writes his famous writings from the book of Romans and Thessalonians to basically encourage the church, say, look, those who have preceded you will certainly not. You're going to join. When Jesus comes, we're all going to be caught up together, and there we will meet him in the sky. So the idea of death and the resurrection and his coming again in heaven was all evolving, okay? As the church got older, as people began to realize, hmm, how's this going to work out? I didn't think we were going to die. But Uncle Ben-Hameen has passed away. So what's going on here? Well, death, as Paul begins to look at it, and he goes, you know, he begins to realize, wait a minute, then perhaps... That death is a doorway that most of us will go through. And then we'll be raised from the dead. And then our spirit will go to be with him. And then later, rejoined with this actual physical body that I have. So there's an incredible amount of hope there. Even though we don't understand heaven and its complexity, we know it's coming. And we know that that's what Jesus taught on a regular basis. Jesus wanted us to know, look, heaven is real. Heaven is your reward. Look forward to it. Now, there's not, as you've heard me, you know I like talking about heaven a whole lot more than I like talking about other things. And when I think about heaven, I think it's important for us to understand that the ancients, that the, that the, 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 the Christians from the very beginning of time got the, the, the definite impression from Jesus himself that this world is passing away. Whether you live 100 years or only 10 days, this world is but a blip in eternity. And when you understand that the end of the race, that eternity and what heaven is going to be like, and that's the reward, then what? What, what is the response to that? Then, folks, we hold on to this life with a, with, 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 without a grip. In other words, we enjoy what we're given here, but this is not my home. This is not my reward. And anything that I'm fighting for, whether it be with money or whether it be with my time and my energies, this is temporary. This is the alternate. This is the AR. This is the alternate reality. The reality is there. That's hard for us to get, but it is something we need to understand as best we're able. Jesus talked about heaven, the concept of being with him and his father forever. He constantly encouraged his disciples to say, look, I'm going away, but I'm coming back for you and you're going to be with me. That's awesome. Jesus communicates, again, the Old Testament prophecies concerning Jerusalem being restored in terms of its heavenly new kingdom perspective. And this opens the door to something that you need to understand, Christian. See, all the disciples were thinking 
physicality. They're all thinking here. And so they were looking at Jerusalem and said, so when, when is Rome going to get out of here? And when is this Jerusalem going to be glorified the way we understood the prophets talking about it? And Jesus looked at the temple and he says, not one stone of that building is going to be standing. What? Oh, yeah, it's going to be level. He didn't tell them how, but he said it's going to, and Jesus looked over and he said, Rach, he, 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 said, he talked about there in Matthew 20, 20, 22, he's looking over the valley and he's saying, I see Rachel weeping. And he knew that Jerusalem was going to be taken away, but then he says, now look, the new Jerusalem's coming. This Jerusalem you guys see that you've lived, that has been a part of your life, has only been part and parcel. It's only been a shadow of what is coming. He says, look, not only is heaven coming, but a new Jerusalem and a new earth. Now, this idea not very many Christians think about, because once again, I think most Christians walk around with the, the idea that heaven is just going to be an ethereal, float-around place, sitting on my own little cloud, and that's about it. But God says we're actually going to dwell on a new earth. Whoa. What does that mean? That means, where do you like to go? You enjoy the beach? The new earth, new earth beach is going to be the beach on steroids. You like going to the mountains? Can you imagine the kingdom mountains? Can you imagine the way this earth was meant to be until we messed it up? Until we came and we sinned and corruption came upon the earth and, 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 and God said, well, it's cursed because of Adam and Eve and what they did. This earth and what we experienced. So yeah, the pollution, gone. And it doesn't stop there. As you can see, I can get excited about this. Look at Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Did you know that even this earth, even though it's not a, it, it, it's not a sentient being in any way, shape, or form, but the earth itself in its physicality and its science is yearning to be restored. That's why you have earthquakes. The earth itself and what we see are birth pains for the earth. It's yearning because it was subjected to corruption and has been from that day. And it's waiting, yearning for it to be uh, redeemed. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Look at that. You know, in science, they call it the second law of thermodynamics. We can actually see this verse taking place every single day. It's called entropy, that everything goes from a state of order to disorder. Flies right in the face, of course, of the evolutionists, but it exists, and there it is. And where did it come from? Why does it exist? Because of the sin of man. It's not the way it always was, and not the way it will always be. The day of deliverance is coming, not only for our bodies and, and for us to be resurrected, but we get a new earth to live upon. Whew, that's good stuff right there, folks. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Ladies can say, okay, I get it now. Ch ch pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, 
the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. So Paul's saying, man, we got hope in this, and this is what's taking place. This is what you see going on around you. Even our own bodies are yearning for it. Yeah. Some of you don't have any clue what that means. But when you start getting up there and you, you get that first, oh, your body's yearning. <laughs> your body's telling you, I'm ready for the upgrade. I'm ready for the upgrade. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Amen. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring Je with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, isn't that awesome? When Jesus comes again, my grandma, my grandpa, your mom, your dad, if they've gone on to be with the Lord, people, family members you didn't even know, hey man, I'm your great, 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 great uncle. All right. Interesting. For we believe that Jesus died and wrote again, verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, and this is Paul's, had developed theology based on what he saw taking place. We are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words, which is what we're doing today. So who will be here when Jesus comes? Whew. Isn't that going to be awesome? Our bodies will be transformed instantaneously and then caught up with those who've gone on to be with before us in, in death. And their bodies resurrected. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus... So Paul has this idea of resurrection. Where did he get it? Well, this comes right from the experience that Jesus had. So Jesus talked about resurrection, but you know what? He showed him as well. You remember the story, and for the sake of time, I'm going to jump, I'm just going to relate this, but you can find it in your notes. Jesus goes, Lazarus is, is dead. He's been in the grave three days. Jesus lets him stay there for three days for the particular reason that they would always see that what happened to Lazarus was his story, and even better, well, better in a sense, it's our story. So Lazarus died, right? Jesus walks up. The shortest verse in the Bible is, is recorded in how Jesus responded to the weeping and the sadness and the desperation that he sees Mar Martha and Mary. Here they are, saddened by death. Jesus, didn't you care? Don't you love, love us enough that you would let Lazarus? We know. We saw you healing people. How, why didn't you heal Lazarus? And what does it say? Jesus wept. And I think about that. Wow. I mean, those two little words, you could write commentaries on but I'd like to think that Jesus was not in despair. I don't think Jesus was angry. And, you know, I don't think he was saddened to the sense of, yeah, God, Father, why? I think Jesus was just overwhelmed with the sense that, Mary, Martha, I wish you could see what I see. I wish you could know what it's going to be like. This sadness, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. He weeps. And then, of course, he says, Lazarus, come out to show everyone, to show us that death got swallowed up. Death is nothing to God. It is but a doorway. 
And the whole idea of resurrection continues to be an experience that the Christians have. They not only see Lazarus raised from the dead, but they, they know that resurrection took place in the Old Testament, but now they're seeing it with their own eyes. And then, of course, to see Jesus. And then the other saints who were raised from the dead at the same time. It's an experience. It is something they know is going to happen. Paul puts it all together and say, that's your journey. That's what's going to happen. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 and 14. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Folks, that day is coming for everyone. Now, to get to the actual answering of the question, what is heaven going to be like? Well, again, there are certain mysteries, there are certain parts of this. This, this. this is what we know. This is what we can infer. Utter and complete peace. Peace as we've never known it here on this planet. But maybe even maybe, maybe we've, we've sniffed it. Maybe we've, we've in, encouraged it as just a momentary thing. But it'll be that forever. No tears, no sin or shame, no fear of doom, no bad news, no sadness or pain. Amen. No anger, no alarm clocks or deadlines. Can I get a big amen for that one? No grumpy bosses or short weekends. The limitations of this world will leave us with a longing for more of what we experience as what I, I like to call the God good. Those moments in time. The day before you have to leave from vacation. Or how about the first day of vacation? How about those moments when you're sitting there with your loved one and you just, you, you, maybe you're out for a meal, you're at your anniversary, you're at a birthday party or something like that, and you just say, I wish we could stop the clock. Can we just keep enjoying this moment right now? I just, how many times have we done that in our life? And, or, or even thinking back to better times. Because the older you get, there are times when we, you know, we, we don't necessarily, and you can think. I mean, I do that from time to time. That touchdown. <laughs> whatever. Capture those moments. That's what heaven will be like forever. It's hard to conceive, isn't it? But you've got to let your heart go there. Let your heart go there. It's okay. It's not fantasy. It is your hope. It is your reward. It's what is waiting for you, my friend. You think, what does it matter that I resist taking that drug? What does it matter that I resist getting into that relationship? What does it matter that I do these different things? My friends, it means everything. Because this life is a blip. That choice is nothing compared to eternity. Hold on to the hope. Let me move on. We will know our relatives. Yep. We're going to know our relatives and friends and be aware of our earthly relationships, yet without earthly consignments. So in other words, Jesus talked about marriage. And they were saying, well, who's, whose wife will they be in the afterlife? And Jesus says, well, you don't understand angels. You don't understand heaven at all. He said, be, there won't be marriage in heaven. There will not be giving of marriage. Even in the context of the new earth, there won't, that won't exist. Because that's an earthly institution. It was created for us and for here. But when we get to heaven, let me keep reading here, because then this will make sense to you. Because sometimes when I talk to people about, you know, I remember when Andrew and I first got married, those first couple of years, the thought of her not being my wife forever was kind of overwhelming. It's like, no, man, I want you to be my wife forever. 
but she'll be so much more than my wife. That's what you're going to see here. No marriage giving men. It is as if we were all, we have all graduated to our higher understanding of who we are. All children of God with ex, without expectations or earthly restrictions, mothers and fathers in all relationships will mature to a simplicity of family with utter respect and love. We're all going to be, all of you will be my fathers. I'll be your brother. We'll have mothers. We'll be, we, all of that will just be swallowed up with a greater sensation. Now, follow me where this goes. All of the limitations and the stuff that we struggle with our culture, with our races, with all that crud that we're going through right now, swallowed up, gone. There won't be anything that comes between us. I will be able to love you. I don't care what you look like, what you've done, where you have been. Our love and our, our, our commitment to one another will be so amazing. We will have the kind of familiar love, familial love that we experience here, but on steroids there. I, I, saw, I, I picked on Alan in the first service because Alan and I are, are growing close and we share a lot of loves. And I looked at him, I said, Alan, you and I are going to be brothers forever. We're going to love each other. There'll never be anything between us. They'll ne- Can you imagine that? Come on, try it. Can you imagine some of the crud that we see in our society, the things that we read in the news, that in heaven it's all gone? Gone. You won't ever see yourself in comparison. You'll never judge others based on what you see of of yourself and what they have done or not done. We will not compare one another to our wealth because we won't have any. (laughs) Can't take it with you, friend. No, all one, all loving, all connected forever and ever. Because really, it's not that God creates anything there. It's the absence of what we've done here. And that means... No sin, no judgment, no prejudice, none of that. John's revelation speaks of streets of gold and an existence of opulence and indescribable. Precious stones, known and unknown. Lights of all spectrums, music yet to be heard. Just imagine hearing the angels sing with perfect harmonies beyond our wildest imaginations. All giving glory to God, the glory to his name. You know, music started in heaven, it came from God. I could talk a whole more, a lot more about that. Music's important to me. And I've got a lot of belief regarding music and its, and its use. But I'll tell you what, when we get there, man, the lights that we'll see, the glories we'll see, some of those things that, you know, I'll dip into that just for a minute. For those who have said they've gone to heaven, some of those are some of the familial, I'm familiar, familiar things that you hear them saying, lights that I can't even describe to you. See, feelings of peace. Feelings of joy. Will we, we will see uh, and interact with angels, the angels of heaven. We'll speak to them, and they'll speak to us. So that'll be cool, won't it? Sit down with one of these ancient angels and just say, look, tell me, what was creation like? Come on. Doesn't that gets you excited? And that gets you to say, you know, that beats any uh, rerun of some famous TV show. Come on now. Excuse me. Animals, of course, somebody asked that about, hey, look, will my, will, will my fluffy be there? Will my fluffy be there? I'm just playing. I don't know if your fluffy will be there. I'm so sorry. 
Because the truth is, animals have a soul, but they don't have a spirit. But if you want Fluffy there, I'm sure God will be working on your behalf to get Fluffy there. I have no trouble with that in believing that. You'll read that about that a little bit in that book called Heaven. He's got some great, te- you know, some ideas on that. But look, <laughs> can I encourage you? If Fluffy ain't there, you're not going to care. All right? Because every animal, we do know animals will be in heaven. They will be there. They just may not be fluffy. Because all the animals will be fluffy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You'll walk up to a lion and it'll be fluffy. The lion will, you'll be able to lay down with that and hang out with that lion as long as you want. You'll be able to play with the tiger. You'll be able to, you'll be able to do amazing things because all the animals will have been, deli- they're groaning on the inside to be delivered to the way it was when it was Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve named them and they were one with, I mean, not one with them, but they enjoyed the connection with them. They were created for us to enjoy. And now all we can do is go to, go to zoos and hope they don't eat us. But in heaven, that won't be the case. So what, what I'm trying to say is, look, you, there, since there will be no sadness, you're not going to be bummed out that, that Fluffy's not there, okay? It's going to be all right. Paul was hesitant to even try to explain it all. So Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, very cool little section of, Christ, uh, uh, of, of the Bible. And he says, I know a man. Paul went to heaven. But he speaks of it in third person because he is so afraid that anyone might attribute to him any superior knowledge about the place. So he says, I know a man who went to the third heaven. And he goes on and he says this statement. He goes, I can't tell you what it was like. I wish I could. But he said, he was almost saying, I'm bound to not tell you. But I think, you ever got to the place where you're trying to tell somebody about an experience? You're like, man, you, you, you should have been there. You tell them a joke and they're just going, mm have no idea what you're talking about. And what do we always say? Well, you just got to see it. And that's what Paul's telling us. He's saying, look, I went there, and, it, and it, you just got to see it. And that's, all what, all of our, that's going to be our experience. We're going to see heaven. We're going to enjoy heaven. We're going to, and so heaven, I'm just telling you, is as it's described. It is going to be a place of wonderful peace. The problem, I think, comes down to as many Christians, they don't know. And so they've, again, we've let the movies, we've let fantasy, we've let that kind of define. But heaven is so much better than anything that could ever be described. And it is our reward. The center of heaven, the Bible tells us, will be God himself. And there will not be a need for our star that we call the sun. It may be there, but why would we need a sun? Because we've got God. It all comes from him. Did not God, isn't that God the one who said, let there be light? He made it. And whoever, whoever is the creator has the, the genesis of what it is in and of themselves. God is light. That's what the Bible tells us. God will be the light that illuminates everything. God dwells in unapproachable light, yet in Christ we will behold it and dwell in it forever. So, folks, bottom line is we're going to live in heaven. Isn't that cool? We're going to be there. It's the hope. It's a part of the journey. It is always meant to be when it comes to the gospel. The gospel, and, and I'm afraid that what we see too much in our culture today is the gospel is only about how can I, be, how can I feel better? How can you give me, can you give me a scripture that's going to make me feel good today? You know what? I get that. I understand that. But you know what? I'm not the Holy Spirit. 
and neither are you. But you have the Holy Spirit. He's in you. And when you believe the word of God and you begin to connect with God that is inside you, the Holy Spirit, then he will come and comfort you. He will strengthen you. He will bring what you need to be comforted and strengthened in the middle of your situation. And of course, as a pastor and a teacher, I'm a part of that, to communicate on behalf of the Holy Spirit, to encourage you. So I'm not um, diminishing that at all. But I am saying this, Christian, let's not forfeit or forget the best part of this whole thing. (laughs) The best part. The thing that Jesus talked about, that was supposed to be our constant hope. Man, I've got a physical limitation here, but I'm not going to have it in heaven. Man, I'm dumb as a stump here. Not going to struggle with that in heaven. I wish I had more friends here. Going to have all the friends you need in heaven. Man, I'm poor as a church mouse here. You're going to be wealthier than anybody's ever known in heaven. See? It is. The gift, it is the prize. And, you know, you know, like that, uh, like they've said, you know, I can't wait to get heaven, get to heaven, but not yet. That's right. We won't go until God is ready. And Paul put it like this in very simple terms. He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ. That means we get to enjoy everything in this world. But what he really meant there was to say, to live is Christ means I get to live out the Christ ideal. That means to serve and sometimes suffer for his sake. That's a privilege. That's a privilege. But when it's all said and done, it's all wrapped up, and you see Jesus, and the last breath that you take, and you see him, everything will be swallowed up in victory. One big party, one big wedding feast forever. Now, we use that word awesome all the time, don't we? That was an awesome milkshake. That was the most awesome donut I've ever had. Most awesome movie. Look, we overuse that word. There's only one place that the word awesome should ever be used for, and that is heaven. Heaven is awesome. Let's stand up this morning. You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 8.30, 10, or 11.30 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.